Welcome to Let's Connect. My name is Keith McPherson, and I'm so glad you've decided to join me for this next episode. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Joseph Koja, who's a catalyst for positive change in our world. Joseph has dedicated over 25 years of his life to producing wellness events around the world, which feature people including Tony Robbins, President Bill Clinton, Sir Richard Branson, and the list goes on. Over his time working in the wellness industry, Joseph has gained some valuable insights on uh, human performance and human development, and today he's here to share some of those secrets with us. So sit back, relax, and let's connect. Hi, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode. I couldn't be more excited to introduce you to Joseph Koja, who is a dear friend of mine. Uh, we've worked some events together, and as I said in the intro, he has worked with some incredible people over the years in the wellness industry. I am so excited to introduce you to him and uh, let you have a chance to hear our conversation together. Before we do, I just wanted to um, share some exciting news that coming up this June 2020, if you're listening in the year 2020, June 5th to 7th, 2020, uh, I'm going to be hosting an event with uh, Summer McStravick uh, in California at this incredible place called 1440 Multiversity. If you haven't heard about this, I highly recommend you Googling 1440, the number 1440, Multiversity, and uh, checking out what we're going to be putting on. We're doing an event called Flow Life together. Um, I met Summer McStravick through the Dr. Wayne Dyer show. She was uh, hosting that show back in the day for my mentor, Wayne Dyer, and uh, I became a huge fan of her work and the, um, the flow dreaming work in particular that she produces and puts out into the world. So last year we got together and did a flow life retreat at 1440 Multiversity, and we're going to do it again. And if you haven't seen this place, it's in the Redwood Forest, just south of San Francisco, um, about 10 minutes from Santa Cruz, California. It's absolutely beautiful there, and it's a great place to uh, just take some time for yourself to self-care. Um, the facility actually was an old Bible camp that was converted into this multiversity for learning and wellness and growth. And um, I just would really, really encourage you to come and spend the weekend with us if uh, it's speaking to your intuition. So you can get more information about that as well at my website, keithmcpherson.ca. And uh, beyond that, I just want to again thank you for listening every week to Let's Connect the Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and let people know as well. And um, without further ado, I'm just so excited to jump into this interview with Joseph today. He's a wonderful man and has so much wisdom to share. So sit back and relax. And here's Joseph Koja. Joseph Koja, thank you so much for being on the uh, podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thrilled to have you in the wonderful city of Toronto and, and to be here with you. We have an amazing view right now. It's pretty nice. Yeah. Looking over the whole city and the lake. And uh, I'm just so excited to, to get to know you better and to, to share some of the wisdom that you've learned over all these years with the audience that's listening right now. So, well, yeah. I'm thrilled to be here. And I, I, I love your podcast. I love your message. You deliver great presentations, do wonderful work. So I feel fortunate, very fortunate to be here today. Thank you. Now, your, your career spans way back in time. 
but you're so young. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I wanted you to come over, Keith, just so you can pay those compliments. There it is. It's true. You've got a really nice youthful energy about you. Yet when I Thank started you. learning about your background, I mean, you've had a pretty substantial um, amount of experience behind you in terms of event planning and organizing. How did that all start for you? Yeah, it's been a, it's been a fun ride. And I suppose looking back, if I could coin the late Steve Jobs, it's always easier to connect the dots looking back and see how things led to where anybody is at this particular moment in life. But at the time, there was some there was some uncertainty, but also built in with some excitement. And I suppose it all started off like many folks, you know, for us, particularly my family, we came to Canada in 1973. So I was born in Nairobi, Kenya. And as some people could imagine, there was some political uncertainty around that time. And there were a lot of people moving to Canada and went through the school system here, fell in love with the country. And, you know, in university, when I finally got my act together, because I was a bit of a clown, I'll admit that. <laughs> and when I finally got the act together, I realized there were two areas that really interested me from an educational standpoint. One was the, the law side. I did an undergrad in law and I did an undergrad in psychology. And what resonated with me and I grew up in the era of law and order and LA law if you remember I totally I do remember right? that so I, <laughs> yeah. I envisioned myself being some kind of Hollywood litigator I suppose but I also wanted to make a positive spin or a difference recognizing that psychology although it was basic psychology resonated with me a lot so I made a decision that I would become a lawyer and that was supposed to be my career path. It's supposed to be. Supposed to be, right? And sometimes, you know, life kind of pushes you in a direction and says, no, maybe you should try something a little different. At the time, though, that was really what I wanted to do. And I applied to law. I, I wrote the LSAT, which is the entrance exam to get into law school. I wrote it three times. Oh, wow. So the signs were all there. <laughs> I was determined, right? Yeah. And you know, sometimes we get, we get on this path for success and we're like, I'm just going to keep going until it happens. And, and like you said, we have to pay attention to the signs. After writing it three times and realizing, you know, I'm not scoring high enough. Uh, I talked to my law professor, who was an international law professor at the time. He said, you know what, Joseph, you're, I was 19 years old at the time. He said, use this opportunity to explore your other interests, what interests you in life, and go down that path. And if you decide when you're 40 years old or whatever that you still want to become a lawyer, it'll still be here for you and you can come back to it. But use this as an invitation. And for me, that was like a stress relief because, mm. you know, I'm, I'm, I come from a culture and a background where at that time, you know, you either became a doctor, lawyer, a dentist. Success was defined professionally by a certain career path. And so to have the legal path, what appeared to be taken away from me at the time was a little bit devastating. And that's a big word to use for a 19-year-old. But sure. hey, we all go through moments of challenge and how we interpret challenge. So at the time... My brother, I have an older brother, he was quite the entrepreneur, was getting into this whole personal growth aspect. And Tony Robbins, if you recall, back during that time, had his infomercial running seemingly endlessly on TV, yeah. any time of the, especially late night TV. And my brother had this crazy goal saying, you know what, I, I like this guy, I'm, I want to go promote him. And that wow. was, that was his goal. That's incredible. Yeah, talk about having a big audacious goal, right? Yeah, there's a guy on TV and... I'm going to work with him. I'm going to work with him. So <laughs> my brother at one point decided, hey, we're going to go see this guy, Tony Robbins, and you know, explore the entrepreneurial side of things. And of course, I was 
in limbo because I wasn't in law school and trying to figure out what I was going to do. So I'll, I'll never forget the day. We lived in Ottawa. And for listeners who may not be familiar with Ottawa and the geographical distance to Toronto, it's roughly at that time, it was about five hours. Uh, although so, they're they're building a train that apparently is going to be 15 minutes, yes, I heard. that's <laughs> Just right. Just on a side uh, note. 15 minutes? I thought it was supposed to be four, 45 seconds or something. But something like light, eight minutes. light speed. Yes. But yeah, back exactly. in the day, it was five hours. Oh, yeah. Back in the day. There were no cell phones back in the day. <laughs> so bizarre, right? I mean, you were contacting Tony Robbins with your brother with no internet at the time. No, yeah, no. In fact, the fax machine was the novelty back then. I remember that. But, <laughs> so but, amazing. But, but I'm sure your listeners don't want to hear about back in the day. old technology. <laughs> yeah, so, so five long, hours. Sorry. Long story short, got up at one o'clock in the morning, made the drive to Toronto, just north of Toronto. Tony Robbins was doing a one-day conference called Strategic Influence, and it was two back-to-back shows. There were like 5,000 people at each show. I'd never heard of the guy before, and I showed up, you know, put on my suit, made the long drive, and I was just like blown away by how many people would actually line up so early in the morning to go to a conference. Of course, when he took the stage, you know, if anybody has seen him or maybe watched this Netflix show, et cetera, he's a pretty charismatic figure and he knows a lot of great information and delivers it in a a very engaging way. And when you see him in person, of course, it's an entirely different level. I drank the rice kombucha, I guess I could say (laughs) Kool-Aid, but these days we have to be health conscious. Right. (laughs) And... So I like you know I came back started taking notes for me the whole idea of personal growth resonated with that theme of positive psychology which I had studied in university and all of a sudden the path seemed to be getting clear where there might be another opportunity wow and so cool in the interest of time my brother eventually ended up purchasing a franchise of Tony Robbins um, at, at that particular time and because I was still in this kind of limbo state but had my curiosity peaked. He said, why don't you come work with me and we can help market these programs. So that's what we started doing. We did local programs in Ottawa. That was our territory. And we would do like a sales program and we would do a weekend program, which was basically on video with some facilitation involved. And that whole process ingrained me in the messaging around what we can do as individuals to better our circumstances, whether it's in business or in life. And, and, I, and it allowed me to put those ideas into practice because it wasn't just theory in terms of being in a class. I was actually meeting with clients, learning about them, learning how to build relationships, build rapport with them. Right. When you, when, just back up for a second. Sure. When, you, when you say bought a franchise of Tony Robbins, mm-hmm. what does that mean exactly? Well, you think of Dale Carnegie franchises, basically a, a, a right to use his products or services at that time. To, and within a specific uh, area. Okay, right. I see. So were you guys delivering the content or was he or was it a combo of both? Well, it was his content in terms of video. So this was like video. Remember those old video projectors? Yeah. And so it would be him, but it would be facilitated. Okay. Right? And then you'd receive training on how to facilitate the actual program and interact and that type of thing. So your involvement at, the, at that time, what, what were you... Um, my my primary role there was to sell the programs. So you get, were on the sales side yeah, of to it. get people to come and attend the events, and then and then help out at the events. Okay, yeah. So we're we're talking small programs in terms of size, or anywhere between eighty to one hundred and fifty people attending. But eventually, we we developed a reputation of being able to to deliver these programs quite well in terms of attract numbers in the room. And at one point, I think we set a record at that time for all of the franchises in North America. And that kind of got the attention that, okay, 
now let's let's try and do something different. And again, in the interest of time, it led to being able to work and promote Tony Robbins in Canada and the United States for a period of time. And that led to an entire different trajectory, which we eventually decided to do programs that involved multiple speakers over the course of the day. And that led to different markets. So not only North America, but you know, travel to Abu Dhabi, where we did a program in 2005 called the Abu Dhabi World Leadership Summit, where some of the guest speakers were former President Bill Clinton, huh. Richard Branson, the late Benazir Bhutto, uh, some local uh, rep- senior representatives within the region were part of that event. So that decision, going back to, hey, I didn't get into law school, professor saying try different things, everything started to point in a direction it's incredible and, and, and here we are today wow so i mean you've been around now over the years like some pretty incredible influential people and and yourself as well i mean just in terms of organizing and promoting these events and and creating the buzz around them i mean what are some of the things that you've noticed in terms of lessons especially takeaways from the people that you've been around well, that's a great question. I think there's there's a number of lessons from a from a business side, the organizational side of what goes on in the, building an event. How do you market an event? How do you build a relationship with different stakeholders, whether they be sponsors or clients? Those are all valuable lessons. I've learned that it's not easy. That there's as as is in the case in any business, you know, that it's not just a straight line up. There's a lot of zigzagging and and dealing with adversity. So that was on a personal level, that was definitely one takeaway. From a professional development standpoint, when you, you know, the old saying, you become who you surround yourself with. I think Stephen Covey had some reference to that. We choose our environment, we become our environment. That happened naturally over a period of 25 years where you just pick up ideas from these various types of speakers and presenters. But even more so than just the presenter side, also the audience, because over time, especially that period of time, you develop relationships with clients that either attend the event for their own personal growth. You start to see that more and more in organizations today where companies are recognizing that their biggest asset is their talent. They're investing more in people scales and those types of things. And you build relationships with these types of individuals and organizations. You learn from them, from how they're interpreting information and what they're doing with it and, and, and seeing it with a different lens and realizing that there's actually more potential than maybe we realize when individually we're exposed to an idea, which is why things like networking and developing mastermind groups where you can exchange ideas is, is so beneficial. Amazing. Is- At the core of all of it, as you're talking, I'm thinking about how important communication is, you know, and we're, we talk about effective communication and you and I have had the conversations aside from this podcast about just how communication is so shifted in the last <laughs> decade with everything that's been developed. Um, and I'd love to hear your insights around just what is effective communication from all of the, that you've learned. Sure. Well, you're right. Communication is such an integral part because at the end of the day, and I, I think it was Brene Brown who made this reference that, you know, the quality of our lives really comes down to relationships, feeling a sense of connection with people, right? We are, we are interdependent on one another to the nth degree. Our happiness and our sense of fulfillment comes when we have a sense of connection with people. And yet we live in a bit of a world of a paradox where Although we have these great technology tools and assets that are supposed to be enablers of communication, people are feeling more isolated than ever before. 
And, you know, the old saying, you know, what's the biggest fear that most people have? And the answer is, of course, the fear of public speaking, right? But, mm-hmm. and, and, and that's understandable. But even in a more general sense, I think the fear of communication is evidenced by the fact stepping in an elevator and, and how much interaction actually happens. It usually goes silent for most of the time. It, it goes very silent. And, and in fact, nowadays, there's no, not even an eye contact, right? Because eye contact is a form of communication. It's a visual form of communication. We can accomplish a lot just by looking at somebody. But now we've, now we've removed that from the equation and we look at a device instead. So I think over the years, I, I suppose when I look back and, and as I continue to, to work in this field is to recognize that as people would go to these types of conferences, they would make certain distinctions. There would be like two types. And I know I'm generalizing, but just to illustrate a point, you'd have individuals that would go to an event or read a book or take a class and it would send them on a trajectory. They would get it. There was something in that experience that would move them forward. And their lives would like transform? Transform, and it was, wasn't like an overnight transformation. It, it was just a directional move yeah. uh, that it helped them make better decisions. And then there were individuals who went in there and were motivated, and I put myself in that category, who felt like, oh, I had a great day, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. And this is around the time of year, by the way, that seems to happen a lot, right? <laughs> well, we're doing this, yeah, early on in the year. Exactly. High New Year's resolutions. So we feel that we have a catalyst, we're inspired, we want to make change, but over a period of time, things seem to fall back to the old patterns, and the change, for whatever reason, gets stalled. And I, I over the years, I became really curious, like, what's the difference? between person A and person B. Fascinating. And what's driving performance and results. And I'll tie it back to the communication element in a moment. So what, I, what I've learned is that there's really two major takeaways from that example. One is the idea of accountability and responsibility. And the other is around emotional, embracing emotional reactions. And I guess let's talk about the emotional side first, if, if you're cool yeah, with that. I'd I think, love to hear about that. I think most people would would recognize that we're all emotional creatures. We, we do what we do out of emotion because we we want something positive or we want to avoid something negative. And I think it was Tony Robbins that had made that reference to the fact that we're either motivated by pleasure or, or desire to avoid pain. And this is not a conscious decision. It is a subconscious process. Mm-hmm. But one thing that I noticed is that when people would go to an event, and even most recently I was at an event where, funny enough, Tony Robbins was the keynote speaker, and I was kind of eavesdropping on, on somebody who was out in the hallway and they were talking to somebody on their cell phone. And, and I love what this person said. They said, oh, man, I'm at this conference and, and it's really pushing me out of my comfort zone. And, and I don't know how to handle it, but I think I like it. They got me <laughs> jumping up and down and dancing and I'm having a great time, but I really don't know what to make of it. But, you know, I'm glad I'm here. And that's one example to me of somebody that's embracing the emotion of the moment. They're recognizing that for change to happen, we need to embrace emotional change, a different emotional mm. psyche. Because if we continue to feel the same way we do about anything in our life, we're really guaranteeing more of the same down the road. Isn't that true? And when we want to experience a change, then we have to be able to ask ourselves a really valuable question. What's the emotion that I need to feel in order to get to where I want to go? And not a lot of people... I th- don't think think of it that way. You know, you take a goal setting workshop, they'll do, you know, your 10-year goals, your five-year goals, your two-year goals, your one-year goal, your six-month goal, and reverse engineer the end and say, you know, what are the key performance indicators? And I yes. wonder how emotion plays into that key performance indicator measurement. I don't think it really does. No, it's so linear and 
and like in the conscious intellect mind. It's logical. Logic. Right? Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with logic because we like routine logic. We're, we're creatures of habits. We have schedules. We get up at a certain time. We work out. We do this. We do that. We're used to logic. Yeah. But logic doesn't, on its own, doesn't drive change. It's emotion that drives change, right? Fascinating. Yeah. And if you look at people throughout history who have faced adversity or challenges, they've been able to embrace emotion in terms of what they're feeling, either what they like or what they're not willing to tolerate and what they want it to be like. And then they move, they let that emotion move them. So what I, what I noticed about in these events is that when people would go in and embrace the emotional reaction, that would be a catalyst for them. It's almost like their subconscious mind would open themselves to the idea of embracing a different form of thinking. And I'll get to that point in a moment when I talk about accountability and responsibility. The other side of the emotional aspect is, is the contrary. It's the person who would go to the event and say, well, I feel all pumped up, but you know they're going to try and sell me something, or this doesn't last. It's one of those quick fix things. There's and kind of a skepticism to it, I imagine. Exactly. And, and you said it right there, because skepticism in itself is, an, is either an emotion or it is an illustration of an emotion, right? We're having a different type of reaction for, for whatever reason. We are presented with an opportunity to change for the better, but we're resisting the change. And, and we're demonstrating an emotion that helps us resist that change. I'm just intrigued as you're talking about this, how um, emotion has such an effect too. Like our emotion individually has an effect on everybody else around us mm -hmm. in that way too. So when I think of like a Tony Robbins event, yes, where we have a lot of people that are pretty pumped up to be there and but like you say it's amazing this the split how does skepticism not play into the tony robbins events where you hear people coming away and they've been like completely transformed like why why is that well i mean i think there's always going to be skept and don't get me wrong i think it's good to have a healthy amount of skepticism uh -huh. we, because what it does and and my my opinion it, it allows us to have a checklist to validate potentially whether the, the information, the idea, whatever it is that's making us skeptical has any basis or foundation. Right. So it invites us to research. So there is a benefit to it. Yeah, it invites us to investigate to a willingness to try new, new things out and, and explore, right? To be curious. Sure. So it invites that if we allow it to. I think an unhealthy form of skepticism is we automatically just put up the walls and just say, oh, you know, I've heard that this happens. And the question is, well, where did you hear it and and who who's the you know who is the authority to say that yeah so know. preconceived ideas that you haven't actually experienced exactly okay exactly yeah so so getting back to the point of the takeaway from this event is embracing emotions is a big part of of development and growth and and becoming better as individuals either in our families or relationships or uh, our roles within our organizations and and to be able to realize that if you know we're not feeling the emotions that we want to feel then you know what do we need to do about ourselves to change in order to be able to experience that and i think hmm. looking back it all starts with how do we react to opportunity or adversity for that matter? Because we've all heard at some point in our lives that adversity is nature's way of saying, hey, you can improve. And when you improve, you can move forward. But what defines whether we improve or move forward is our emotional reaction. So how does somebody move into more of that um, emotion being the catalyst, like more consciously? Do you have any suggestions on how you can cultivate more of that? I, I think like anything, it's a practice. 
we, you know, we're imperfect beings and, and we need to acknowledge that. I think that's a big part of it because in our society today, there's whether it's subliminal messaging or just through conversations we have with people is there is a, a pressure to be almost perfect, right? Yes. We have the perfect relationship, drive the perfect car, live in the perfect neighborhood, have the perfect body. Perfection is a, is a constant message. And, and let's face it, there's nothing wrong with wanting perfection if it drives us to try new things to improve. So this, the, the underlying is that we know perfection does not exist. And the reason it doesn't exist is because it presupposes that, well, if things were perfect, they could never get better. And that's just not the way the way universe works. <laughs> it, it's continuously reinventing itself. Yes. That's what innovation is about. It's finding a way to make things better. So I think, before I lose my train of thought here, I think in order for us to embrace the idea of, I'm trying to think of the way you asked the question, about emotion specifically is I think we need to give ourselves permission to be imperfect. And I know I'm, I'm not the only one to suggest that idea, but self-love is a huge part of being able to experience and accept emotions. Self-love is really like at the core of a lot of this, I imagine. Oh, I, w I would say so. And it's, it's, it's tough to, as crazy as it sounds, it's tough to love yourself because it kind of sounds weird. <laughs> no, it really does. Hey, I'm, I love myself. It's like, whoa, what are you going to do? What's the matter with you? <laughs> right? Yeah, there's like a whole kind of conditioning in our culture that says that's cheesy or what are you talking about? Love yourself, you know? I, yeah. I encourage people to do mirror work because you've seen it. Yes. And oh my gosh, the like apprehensions from people about that are just yeah. f phenomenal. It's like, why wouldn't you see yourself as lovable? But so many of us are conditioned to believe that we're not. Well, that and also some, some of us may have misinterpreted what self-love means. Self-love for some people might be interpreted as being self-absorbed or narcissistic or only looking out after myself when I should be taking care of my family or my coworkers and so forth. So they're not giving themselves that permission. Right. And I think that's the, that is a key distinction is to notice that if I want to be better in some shape or form that I must allow myself to be imperfect and to be imperfect means that I, I love myself for who I am and that I'm not out to prove myself, that I'm just going to be the best person that I can be. And the way I can be the best person is to open myself up, to be vulnerable. I mean, that is a huge leadership trait these days sure. that's, being, that's being brought up. And vulnerability is actually a very powerful thing to go through because, number one, it gives us permission to explore curiosity like, you know, a kid would. And yeah. number two, to know that we're not going to be judged, right? Yeah. Absolutely. I, it's amazing when we start talking down the rabbit hole of effective communication. Like I'm, I'm just appreciating as we're speaking about the layers of depth to this practice, just on this one side of emotion mm -hmm. and emotional awareness, like as you're speaking about it. And you were speaking about also the other side of this accountability um, in terms of effective communication. I'd love to hear more on that. Sure. Well, you know, I, I think of it in the form of a metaphor. So I'll, I'll play along and, and hopefully your listeners will find some value in this too. So let's say I come up to you and I say, Keith, I'm handing you a set of keys. Yeah. These are your custom made keys. And I point outside the door and I said, out there is your very own personalized time travel machine. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, it's pretty cool, right? <laughs> I'm already feeling the power of that. Exactly. And this this is a beauty machine, by the way. It's It's been tested for safety, so it and it'll, it runs environmentally safe, so it's it meets everybody's criteria. It's perfect. It's perfect, exactly. <laughs> and it's designed for you. Okay. 
Now, the way this machine works is that the moment you step into it, it'll take you back to any point in time in your life and allow you to make one decision differently that will change your life in terms of what you're experiencing today huh. and also potentially into the future. You can make one decision. So either a decision to get involved in a relationship or decision not to get involved in a relationship, to take a job, to not take a job. You get the idea, right? Yeah. That's a big, that's a big scenario to be in. <laughs> yeah, so here's the question. Would you accept the keys to that machine? Well, I would want to just travel back to all of the enjoyable moments in my life. That's not the question. But I know, I know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I'm pretty fulfilled with where I'm at right now. Okay, pretend you weren't. <laughs> but yeah, there, there, I, I do think back. I mean, if I wasn't, um, I would go back and I'd probably have a more confident conversation with Wayne Dyer. Okay. That's what came to mind. All right, very good. So I would, I would, I would guess, put a guess out there and say that there are a lot of people out there who probably would go back sure. and make a different choice. I know I would. You know, maybe I would have asked that one person out that I didn't ask out. Oh, it, it could be anything, right? Yeah, if you go all the way back, yeah, there's a lot of that for sure. Right. So it's an opportunity to have a do-over. And I think where I'm going with this is that if anybody answers yes to that question, then what does that say about that scenario? Well, to me, number one, it says that we believe intrinsically that our decisions affect our destiny, our reality. In fact, I'm going to quote Tony Robbins again, and he said it. It's in the moments of our de- it's in the moments of our decisions that our destiny is shaped. So we're acknowledging when we take the keys to go back to make a decision, we're recognizing that decision is the key to change. Decision is destiny. Is yes, that that's powerful. Now I don't know if that belongs to somebody else, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say yes. Yes. At number two, what it also says is that we believe that we're empowered to change our circumstance because now we're taking responsibility. We're saying, I have an opportunity to go back and make a different decision. I'm going to go back and make a different decision. So we're taking responsibility for that. And number three, it demonstrates that we're embarking on some form of positive action. We're taking a step forward. Pardon the pun. We're actually taking a step back. But... We're doing something. Yes. Exactly. We're doing something. So accountability and responsibility suggests to us, number one, that we can do something, that we're responsible for where we are in our lives, and that our decisions, that what we decide has an impact on on the experiences that we'll have. Well, if I if I give use that same metaphor and I say to you right now on the couch that you're sitting on, you are exactly on a time machine right now. And other unlike the time machine I referenced before, this one is only forward moving. And by the decisions that you're making and that I'm making and that your audience members are making at this very moment is going to shape our destiny in the future. So the real question is, is what decisions are you going to make? And are we going to take responsibility for it? And are we going to take some kind of action? Oh, wow. That's really powerful. And what I noticed in all these years in attending these conferences, when I use the example of person A and person B, person A would embrace that concept of accountability and responsibility. They were willing to say, yes, I can do something. I'm responsible. And then they go out and do it. But then the other question that that is asked is, well, why isn't person B doing that? Absolutely. I'm curious about that too. And I think, you know, we could talk about this for, for a long time, but I think the underlying reason why ultimately is, you know, we have, a, we have, everybody knows this, you know, we have a conscious mind, we have a subconscious mind. And if I use the metaphor and maybe, I don't know if this will come out as clear as I hope it would, but let's say that our, our brain 
is is the computer. Mm-hmm. It's the hardware, right? We all have the hardware. And our subconscious mind happens to be, or sorry, so our, our conscious mind happens to be the processor. So okay. it allows us to make decisions quickly, to navigate life, to say, what does this mean? What should I do? And when basically dictates how we live our lives on a daily basis. Yeah. The subconscious mind represents our software that oh, we're running. Okay? okay. So if you follow that that metaphor, then very often in life where we're all presented with the opportunity to learn, grow, change, and develop, and we have the hardware and we have the processor and capability, but maybe we're running a software that's outdated. Which would be the unconscious mind. Right. And that software is represented in the subconscious mind or what influences that software writing, if you will, or programming is actually our beliefs. Wow. And if, if we... You know, take away all the layers and we look at our beliefs and that's a, it's a topic that is brought up very often, either directly or indirectly. You will hear it. If you listen to people's speeches, you will hear them state their beliefs. They'll either come out and say, I believe this, or they'll say it in some other way. Sure. And what I've learned, again, using person A and B as the example, the reason person B is resistant to that change, whether they're willing to embrace their, the emotion that they're being that they're being presented with at the moment or whether they're willing to embrace the opportunity comes down to their belief system that they're operating with but most people don't know what their beliefs are right because what is a belief at the end of the day and and, you know it's been presented to me and but and to others as a concept of a belief is just the feeling of certainty and whatever we feel certain about tends to influence our actions and our actions then influence our results and it becomes a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy it reaffirms our beliefs it actually shapes our identity over a long time sure is that how you would define belief i i found it to be a workable formula i mean i'm sure there are different interpretations of what a belief is but ultimately i mean let's face it what what is a belief if it is a feeling of certainty then where does the certainty come from it comes from our experiences feedback we get from the environment and then they reconfirm what we belief and and while we don't make this as a conscious choice right it's just happening at a subconscious level and then that ultimately drives our behavior and what we do and what i've learned over a period of time is when it comes to beliefs it's not a matter of right or wrong it's really a matter of understanding their impact on behavior Mm. and and fundamentally i think there's you know there's two types really to, to single them out one would be what some people refer to as an empowering belief, which are things that we feel certain about that cause us to try new things, to expand, to to be willing to take action, to embrace emotion, all those things we talked about earlier. Yeah. And I think psychologists refer to individuals like that as having a growth mindset. That's exactly right? what they call that. And they're just, they're, they don't believe in failure. They don't believe in a no-win scenario. What they do believe in is, yes, I don't have to be perfect, right? They've, they've accepted that from maybe the self-love definition. And their willingness to explore their curiosity to try new things because they recognize the way they want to feel in the future and they have a, a vision of what that might be like and they know that they're capable. They're taking accountability and responsibility and they're doing something about it by the decisions they're making. Mm-hmm. It's all driven by this belief system that they've developed. Whereas the other belief system, which we'll just re- you know refer to as the disempowering belief system, is things that we also feel certain about but cause us to resist. Right. To, to operate within that word, those two words, comfort zone, because we realize that things may not be perfect or ideal for us, but at least they're not as bad as they could be. So we're just going to kind of stay and play it in, in this area. And those are the types what I would categorize as category B 
invariably my opinion would be is that they are likely holding on to those limiting beliefs without even knowing that they are limiting beliefs. Right. And and it's holding them back. So so let me give you a, like an, an, a more concrete example. Let's say, you know, where do beliefs come from? Let's say they come from the environment. So our parents are, they're well-meaning parents. They want to protect us. They want to raise us. Uh, so they tell us as children, you know, don't talk to strangers because right. you don't, mm-hmm. people who are, you don't know the crazy world out there. You don't know what you're dealing with. So don't talk to strangers. And it's, you know, it's at that time, it's somewhat of an empowering belief because it's designed to protect us and it keeps us safe. So over time, though, as we grow up and we become adults, let's say we become in a management role or a leadership role, or we want to be in a sales executive role, where it, it involves building relationships with people, getting out there and connecting with people. But subconsciously, we're still holding on to this belief of don't talk to strangers. How effective are we going to be in that role? Right. It's almost like it's, dated. it's outdated for what we need now. The software is outdated. It's, and if it's not outdated, it's counterproductive. How often do you go to a conference where people say, oh, I want to network and meet with people, and then they sit in the corner and they don't talk to anybody? Right, right. And it's like, what is the belief underneath that? Exactly. That's playing out. So for me, over the years, I, I've come to realize that examining these beliefs and how to, f- to further the cause of the growth mindset are really, really important. And it's led me to you know, uncover some really great books. Uh, one by the name, I hope I'm pronouncing the name correctly, it's Shakti Gowan. And the the book's called The Art of Creative Visualization or Creative Visualization. And she talks about the idea of affirmations as being a huge part of what shapes our our software. Interesting. It's like the words we're speaking. Is that what you mean by affirmation? Speaking and feeling. Emotion is a big part of it. In fact, I think she defines an affirmation as any statement that something already is so. So it's a statement in the present moment that this already exists. exists. And you're feeling it. And you're feeling it. And that the, we all have affirmations, by the way, right? And whether we're aware of it or not, some of them are not the best affirmations. So like, 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 we'd be like, I'm so tired. That, yeah. It's so cold. Yeah. But it is so cold. <laughs> Why does this always? Why does this always happen? To me. To me is even bigger one, right? right? Why does this always happen to me? Another yeah. affirmation be the only thing guaranteed in life are... Oh man, the only thing guaranteed in life are, are I don't know. Death and taxes. <laughs> I haven't heard that one. Okay. How is that for an empowering? Jeez, that's a pretty uh, gruesome life to be living if that's the, the reality. But interesting that we pick it up and we learn those beliefs or we take on those beliefs as, as literal. And then live up, live them out. That's exactly. What's, that's what's fascinating me here. Exactly. And so the, the change is... is again, using her example, is about identifying what are the affirmations we want to adopt. So when we learn from people like yourself and other leaders out there and we listen to them, you can hear affirmations in quotes. You know, Winston, Winston Churchill, one that stuck with me for quite some time, is all great empires are first great empires of the mind. What does that mean, right? If I believe that. Uh, Mahatma Gandhi, be the change you want to see in others. Mm-hmm. What does that mean about accountability and responsibility? There are all these... In music, you'll hear some great affirmations in terms of lyrics, depending, of course, on the type of music. But there are so many great sources for affirmations out there that we can simply choose to adopt them and make them our own. Now, we have to do them in a certain way so they become ingrained. So simply standing in front of a mirror and going, I'm hot, I'm hot, I'm hot, or I'm sexy, or whatever, yeah. is, a, is a good first effort. 
but there needs to be some emotion aside and involved in it. And that, you know, that comes back to our earlier conversation, having a willingness to embrace emotional experiences is a yeah. big part of, of growth. Any suggestion on how to tap into the emotion behind an affirmation when you first start reprogramming the software? Yeah, it's a really great question. I would suggest when you have a win in your life, whatever that win is, maybe you closed the sale, maybe you came home and your child smiled at you and just made you feel good or whatever, is, and this is, again, this is a practice. This is not an overnight formula. Is is create for yourself a meaningful dialogue in that moment. So it's something like, I'm so fortunate. I've got the best life. I'm so grateful for the family I have or for the opportunity given to me, whatever the case may be. When we feel the emotion, and, and psychologists will call this creating an anchor, what we're doing is we're taking the moment and now we're linking it to a phrase so that the words become associated to a feeling. And, mm -hmm. we're, and because the feeling is so real, it's so prevalent that we we hang on to that and we make that our practice. We make it our personal mantra, so to speak. Oh, that's amazing. I remember staying with uh, this couple in Boston once when I was on tour as a musician and um, they were really well off. They lived in the back bay and it was just like this feeling of luxury and they, we stayed at their place because we were broke musicians. Mm -hmm. And I remember using this hand cream in the bathroom and the smell of it when I put it on my hands I was like this feels like luxury to me like mm -hmm. this is wealth and so now anytime I think about just I am wealthy I think of that that smell that's associated with the back bay in Boston and it builds me up it makes me feel like abundance is is here it, it, is there is there some correlation to that kind of oh I, I think so 100 percent yeah in, in fact a lot of the books and, and the courses that I've done over my life will, will teach you when you're, when you're goal setting, the traditional sense of goal setting is to have a feeling or an experience of what that's going to be like and be that person. Now, some people call it fake it till you make it. I'm, I'm not really a big foam proponent of that. Uh, I would just say use your imagination and your curiosity. It was one of the greatest gifts we had, like Einstein. Look what Einstein accomplished with his imagination in terms of understanding the law of relativity we don't have to figure all that out, but right. we can certainly use that to our advantage to be able to say, well, next time I go on a holiday and I'm staying at a great hotel or I see a great view, that view never has to end. It can play on and on in our imagination and whatever we continue to imagine, we will eventually manifest somewhere at some point in our life. Yeah, it's like this combination of gratitude and go to a good place feels really important as we're talking about this. It's like to cultivate goodness, gratitude, and to affirm it as mm -hmm. it's like, and I love the idea that this doesn't have to end. This, this is just the beginning or a confirmation that we're expanding into more of what we're wanting to mm -hmm. consciously create versus being told how it should be. <laughs> it, it, again, it goes back to the idea of accountability and responsibility. We're going to make, we're going to commit to making as many good decisions every day. Yeah. And, and by making those decisions, we're taking control. <laughs> That's incredible. Wow. So I understand that uh, you have some, a talk coming up. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. I'm so, so grateful that part of my my goal, if you will, for 2020 and the decade moving forward is to get more back on the stage. I had presented in previous years on smaller stages, so I'll 
thrilled to be in Winnipeg on May 5th. That's fantastic. My hometown. Winnipeg. Go Jets, go! Go Jets, go! <laughs> nice time of year to be there as well in exactly. May. Exactly. And so I'm, I'm thrilled. There's an amazing lineup of guest speakers that will be presenting. I think it's the RBC Convention Center. And... It's called The Power of Success. Your listeners, if they're curious, can check out, I believe that event's been launched. It's called powerofsuccess.ca is the website. And there are some great presenters, including Arnold Schwarzenegger that will be there and Molly Bloom, for those of you who are familiar with her story on Netflix. Um, So I'm thrilled to be a part of that event and hopefully maybe I'll meet some of your listeners there. That's incredible. I'm really, I want to encourage you guys, especially if you're in Winnipeg to, uh, to attend this and to check out Joseph's talk and, uh, hear a little bit more in depth about what we've been talking about as well. I mean, I think that the message that you're bringing to the world right now around the power of communication and getting in touch with our emotions is such a powerful one these days to bring us back in a connection, like with ourself and the world around us being so disconnected on our phones, I mean, to, to make that shift back to a more conscious way of being in the world, I, I feel like you're really stepping into that arena and sharing that with us all. So I really appreciate that. Oh, it's my pleasure. And like I said, it's it's so wonderful to have you here and to be invited to join you in this conversation today. I look forward to doing it again, I hope. Yeah, thanks for being here, Joseph. My pleasure. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. Uh, Joseph has given us so much to think about and ponder and integrate into our lives, especially around the power of positive affirmation and positive thinking. So um, I hope you go check out his work. And if you happen to be in Winnipeg, come see him speak on the same stage as Arnold Schwarzenegger this May. It's going to be an amazing event as well. So until next time, everybody, thanks for tuning in. And I look forward to you sharing another podcast with you soon here on Let's Connect.